The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. It's short track racing is where all racing started. I mean, it's even the NASCAR world started short track racing back in the day. And we just want to tell a great story. to And to, not a story. We want to tell factual guidelines. Here's the unfiltered, honest stories of how grassroots racers have and can achieve their racing goals. Fast Car to NASCAR, hosted by NASCAR driver Mike Wallace. Welcome to Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. Strap yourself in, pull those belts tight as we take on a journey from short tracks across America to super speedways and everything in between. Having said that, I give you Mike Wallace. <laughs> Jeff, yeah. We are going to have a good time on this show. We're going to talk about the past, the present, not really the future, but who we were before who we are. Yeah, let's just go ahead and, and say, all right, listen, if, if you're a race fan, you know who the Wallace family is. We know your accomplishments, your family's accomplishments in, in NASCAR at the highest level. But let's go back to where it all began, and that would be St. Louis, Missouri, you know, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day would be the late 60s, to be honest with you. My my father, Russ Wallace, raced back in that period of time, and he ran the local short tracks. There was three three major racetracks there. It was called uh, Charlia Speedway in Rolla, Missouri. That was about 100 miles west of St. Louis. Fort Leonard Wood Speedway, which is one of the biggest military installations in the country. A racetrack was right outside of the main gate. And then we ended up back riding in St. Louis on Friday, or excuse me, Sunday nights at Valley Park Speedway, Lake Hill Speedway. And um, that's where it all started. We sat in the grandstands, watched my dad, used to get a job selling sodas and popcorn in the grandstands, walking yeah. around, you know, get a few bucks, and uh, kept that going. Rusty started racing, I started racing. 1975 was, uh, I won the championship at Lake Hill Speedway. 
And what kind of a car were you were you driving back then? Because the kids these days, they've got the uh, the Bandoleros and the Legends cars and go-karts and all. Did, did you have any of that? No. I, I had the coolest-looking 1957 Chevrolet. <laughs> Uh, that that was the style of car you built in that time. It had leaf springs in the back of it, so you'd pop the le- right rear spring apart, put two extra leafs in it, and you'd go racing. And, uh, you know, of course, put a roll cage in it. But uh, racing's so different today. But back in the day, you drove stock cars. Right. Yeah. Now they yeah. build them from the ground up, don't they? Yeah, well, they're just different today. You know, everything's got a custom build to it for some reason. But... You know, from a Bandolero car, this, that, legend cars, late models, ARCA cars. But back in the day, where we've all come from, and and most everybody we're going to talk to sometime or another, has come from a stock car. And a stock car was just an old car you got from the junkyard or somebody crashed and you got from them. You put a roll cage in it. You put some, what do you call, uh, spring spacers in them. You crank them in with a ratchet and it put the up or down wedge in the car and uh, a lot of times you flat-toed them. You put a tow bar on them, hooked it to your car yeah. or your truck, and that's how you got it to the racetrack. Now, your dad wasn't one of these guys that raced all, all the time. He was kind of a part-time racer, wasn't he? Uh, My dad was a hobbyist, he a hobby right. racer. I mean, he was very serious about it, but he had a full-time job during the week, and he raced on the weekends. And uh, he raced, heck, back in the 50s and then stopped for a period of time while we were being born and being raised and then you know this racing never gets out of your blood once you've got it you want it all the time and uh he restarted and rusty and myself and kenny all three of us were able to just really enjoy racing with my father and then as we started all racing he he realized he was losing his help on his car because we were working our own (laughs) cars so uh but he was he was the local hero he was uh in the grandstands and local short track racing as long as they're cheering for you or booing you, you know you're doing good. Right. And you just, your family just did something really cool in, uh, in memory of your, your dad. Yeah, we just come back from St. Louis. Well, I call it St. Louis, Granite City, Illinois. And uh, a gentleman that we used to race with, our family, Kevin Gundaker, Kevin and Tammy Gundaker, owned the Tri-City Speedway in Granite City, Illinois. And they hosted this past Friday night the fifth annual Russ Wallace Memorial Race. Mm-hmm. Dad's been gone about 10 years, but they just started about five years ago. And what a great event. And what was really crazy, they got everybody to show up. Even Rusty showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and he was up at Iowa Speedway. So uh, the, uh, the family, the Gundaker family, had two super late models their kids drive, and they wrapped them in to look like my father's old cars. And then Rusty and I drove one of those for the National Anthem Parade last Oh, no kidding. That's Kenny cool. was in his modified. So really, really, you know, took a lot of effort, a lot of time from the Gundakers to make that work. But, man, what a great night. And grandstands were packed. That was the good part about it. Sure, absolutely. You were telling me how big short track racing is, not only in the Midwest and out that way, um, but there really is a huge following for short track racing, isn't there? W- without a doubt, Short track racing is where all racing started. I mean, it's even the NASCAR world started short track racing back in the day. And you got to remember how many people don't get the privilege and the opportunities and the love to go racing full time, to make a living out of it. So most of the time, uh, your local short track racer, who's got tremendous amount of talent, uh, you know, is really, really good. But he works a regular job during the week because the weekend racing – you know, at that level doesn't pay enough money. And 
I'll be honest with you. You're not if you're not exposed to racing for a living or NASCAR racing, as a lot of people like to refer to it. You don't even know how to get there. You know, it's real difficult. It's kind of like I always say. It's like if you want to. How do you become a country music or a rock star? Move to Nashville. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, yeah, once you get to Nashville, you know, what do you do when you get to Nashville? There's there's a lot of ways to get involved in, in, in motorsports. Some of them work. Some don't. There's, there's thousands of race car drivers in the United States that are great, really, really good, that are never going to have an opportunity to be seen on the, the national stage, as they say. Those are the guys that see these 21-year-olds. <laughs> And they're matter driving <laughs> cup cars and they're cursing the TV. Oh yeah, there there's a lot of that going on. I, I ran into a guy uh, Friday night at that race. My dad, in honor of my dad, his name's Mike Harrison, and Mike is just this really badass dirt racer. I mean, he wins a lot of these modified races all the time. And I says, well, well, Nicky or uh, Mike, you just race full time, right? And he goes, oh no. I says, well, what do you do? He says. I'm a paid farmer the rest of the time. Wow. He said, I, I can't take that away from my family. i got to figure out. I says, well, you're good enough to do it. Yeah, but I don't know how to do it, he said. Yeah. <laughs> but he hauls the mail actually out of that. <laughs> he, he won that night. So it, it's just hard hard to get the opportunity. But, again, there's a lot of great racers out there. Back in the day, you're talking about when your dad was racing, who turned the wrenches? Who were the guys who carried the cooler? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, – well, it's, it's funny because it's, it's a very small group of guys. My dad had a couple friends. I apologize. I don't. Ed was one, or uh, Dominic was one of them. Ed Hall, which was Rusty's father in law, he helped my dad. And we were young, but we still got in there and we got greasy with the, the guys and we did a lot of work. I remember building engines with my dad in the garage. You know, the race car sitting there and you got an engine stand and we're bolting it together, putting the crankshaft in it, putting the rods in it. You know, so a lot of things were just family done. You know, right. your your neighbors right in the area helped you a lot. Right. So you're racing short tracks, going from town to town, maybe on the weekends. What's the next step? Next step is I got envious of my brothers. If you want to know the truth, my brother Rusty by that time had be had become a NASCAR champion. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother Kenny, who helped Rusty a lot on his short track cars, traveling, following him all around the country, got an opportunity to come run a Bush Series car for a team Rusty drove. And I then to myself says, man, I'm really good at this, but I was working a regular job. I was working for our, our family's vacuum cleaner and janitorial supply business in St. Louis, <laughs> no yeah. a place called OK Vacuum and Janitor Supply. And I thought I had everything going great, you know, making good money at that time, great benefits, racing, winning a lot of races on the weekends. I mean, a lot. And um, woke up one day and said, man, if I don't try to go racing for a living, I'm going to regret it my whole life. I just want to see if I'm good enough to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I talked to my wife, Carla, and she was all on board with it, with, you know, just like move from where you're living at halfway across the country and uh, she says well that's really what you want to do then let's go for it so i I appreciate that so much and uh we moved to uh let me let me back my story up a little bit at the time we decided that it was a year before i moved some folks in nascar told me you really need to get a nascar championship in your name just a local racetrack or something like that right. so in 1989 i won the winston racing mid-america division championship at lake or at um, 
Lebanon I-44 Speedway, and Bolivar USA Speedway. So now I have the NASCAR championship to my name, and Winston was really big back in that time. And uh, after that, I got an opportunity to drive for Mark Reno down here at Martinsville, Virginia. I still lived in St. Louis. I was getting ahead of myself on my story. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I got the opportunity to come down here, run a race, run really good. That's when they name people driver of the week and all that stuff, and I got that, that honor. Went back home and said, there's not much to this. This is pretty easy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so so you thought, so so I thought, and that that's the joke of that. You know, it's it all seems easy at first, and then uh, I got the opportunity to run one more race at Lanier, Georgia, and mm-hmm. I run third. Mark Mart or uh, why did I say Mark Martin? Jeff Gordon and David Green finished ahead of me. David Green won. Jeff Gordon was second. And I was third. And what series was that? That would have been the NASCAR Bush series. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, was, I came straight off the short track. I made this stupid, bold statement when I won that championship in Lebanon, Missouri, that I'm not going to short track race anymore or local race. I'm, I'm going NASCAR racing. Right. Had no idea how to do, do that. <laughs> Didn't have any money to do it with. But just, you know, that was the plan we put in place. I put in place. again. And fast forward again, back to the old story, as Carlo said, let's go do it. I went to my uncle. This is where the big pivotal part of my life and career happened. My uncle, Gary Wallace, actually owned the business, and I went to him, and I was running it for him. I says, Gary, I says, I need to take off for the next six months. And he'd just come off a year hiatus, building a new house and all that. I said, I need to take off for the next six months. And when that six months is done, one of the two, I'm going to come back here and work full-time and put a full dedicated effort into it more so than I was already doing, or I'm going to quit and I'm going racing full-time. Right. And he, he wouldn't give me the option. He wouldn't let me take off. And so I quit. So you had to quit. You had to quit. <laughs> and uh, that that's the sink or swim part of it, you know? Yeah. Moved to the Carolinas and... You're going to move to the Carolinas and do what? Have you lost your mind? <laughs> <laughs> Numerous people have told me that. I mean, it's just, uh, that's how it worked, though. I mean, I stayed in the Homewood Suites up at uh, Harris Boulevard in 29 for a couple months by myself. And Is then, that right? Then the family moved down, and we lived in that thing for, you know, that hotel for a month. Then we got a new house, rented a brand-new house over behind the Speedway because it had a, there was a builder that had it, and he was stuck with it. and So he rented it to us really right. And Man, if anything as from that point on could go wrong for the next six months, it went wrong. It did. It went wrong from anywhere from... My wife's dog got run over by a school bus out front to a beautiful day and a big tree fell and went through the roof of her car oh, man. to me getting fired from the job that I'm, you know, for the team I got hooked up with to drive for. Oh, no kidding. And, and literally had nothing, had nothing. You know, we'd, uh, we're down here. We, we still had a home in St. Louis. What's our choices? Move back there. Don't have a job. But I would have moved back there had I had a job. Sure. Yeah, I would have quit. It was done. It was over with. So that was it. You yep. tried racing. You didn't think you were going to be successful didn't, at that, so you were going back to the vacuum. was cleaners. going back, and a gentleman by the name of Brad Willard, who I drove for in uh, 1990, winning the Winston Racing Series, called me and just, hey, hey, man, what's going on? How's things going? And I was, I said, it's not going good, Brad. It doesn't look like I'm going to make it. Just not going to get this done. I said, I'm going to, I said, I don't have any money. I'm broke. And, uh, you know, I got some bills to pay, and, uh, he says, don't give up. Whatever you do, don't give up. He says, open your mailbox in a couple of days. You'll be all right. 
And I opened my mailbox a couple of days later, and Brad sent me a check for $4,000. Right. And that caught us up on our bills. You know, we never really got behind, but yeah. kept us good with it. Kept working, working, and through that year, and or you know the end of that year, and then got an opportunity to, to go racing again, and it's uh, it's been a really up down up down up down career, but I've won some good races along the way. Right, good stuff. So that was let's you you finally got it figured out. You're in Charlotte. We're talking 1991. Well, I moved here in August of 91. Uh, Moved the family here in August of 91. Right. And then I was driving a bush car, as they would call it back in the day, NASCAR Bush Grand National Series, through 92, 93. And just kind of so-so, nothing great of any of it. And um, one of the – I drove for Dick Moroso. Yeah, sure. His son was the late Robbie Moroso, who was going to be the – superstar that never got a chance to be around long enough to be a superstar and uh you know i was going through a challenge there basically dick you know was had a race team but his mind wasn't where it needed to be because of what had happened and uh run some more and um the big changes come in 1994 94 i i was driving that i won the arca race for kenny schrader in daytona right and Schrader says that was a drunken moment we both agreed upon. <laughs> He's a piece of work, isn't oh, he? Oh, Schrader's uh, great. <laughs> An interesting story. We were talking the other day about the youth factor in the NASCAR Cup Series right now. When you got guys like, you know, driving the 24 car, William Byron, he's already been in there a couple of years, and he's a young guy. You faced another challenge as you wanted to go driving in the Cup Series, and we'll talk about that in our next segment. We're talking to Mike Wallace. This is Fast Car to NASCAR on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. All right, welcome back. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We are on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. We're talking about everything from short tracks to super speedways to Mike Wallace's illustrious career. When last we spoke, we talked about the youth factor that there currently is uh, in the NASCAR Cup Series. And you have a funny story about uh, trying to get a cup ride back in the day. Oh, you'll love this. I mean, you really will. So, you know, in today's world, you got to start your career when you're six. You yeah, know, right. yeah. about show potential by the time you're 12, being something really good by the time 15. And if you're at 20, you're too old. <laughs> yeah. And let me lead to that. Remind me about that 20-year-old stuff. I want to tell you about this. So back, this would have been 1990, 91, early 91, because I'd won the Winston Race Institute. So early 1991, Cale Yarborough, the great Cale Yarborough, is going to own his own race team or has his own race team. And I get a hold of him. I call him at his Honda dealership down in South Carolina. And I introduce myself and I, you know, had to throw a few things that he'd put two and two together. You know, my brother races against him, blah, blah, blah. And I'd won the NASCAR Winston Racing Series. And he's very polite and talks to me very, you know, very nicely through everything. And at the, towards the end, he goes, and how, how what's your age? How old are you? I said, well, sir, I'm 31 years old. And uh, he goes, oh, he says, I'm, 
I apologize, but I'm really looking for somebody older than that to put in my car with more experience. <laughs> and and at the time, it was like, okay. You know, you didn't even think about it. It was like, I just want some – that was racing back then. You yeah. needed to be that age. Uh, boy, has that changed. No kidding. I uh, Jumping around how age works, my son Matt Wallace won a race out of Concord Motor Speedway. Harrison Burton runs second. Oh, no kidding. I call the t- – I call the um, – Toyota people, and uh, I'm trying to get Matt involved in their driver development program. And at this time, Matt's 21 years old, right? right? And the gentleman that was running the program, I remember this as clear as can be, he goes, yeah, I, I was there that night. I watched that. You know, this was just the week before. And he says, he did a marvelous, outstanding job. Mm-hmm. And he goes, how old is he? And he goes, I said, so he's just 21. He goes, yeah. He's too old he's for our program. I knew it's where you were going. He's too old for our program. <laughs> <laughs> and just had outrun one of their program drivers, and it just tells you how much things change. What is it about a kid that's 21? First of all, they're young, they're strong, uh, they're physically fit, whatever. But but you're right. To me, you have to have you got to be comfortable behind the wheel, especially in the draft at Daytona or Talladega, right? You know what I mean? And, and you can't you can't teach that. That's seat time. Am I wrong? Without a doubt. I mean, we're seeing that of more things. That's been the deal forever. If you, That's why everybody used to run a Bush car all the time, then a cup car on Sunday. When I, you know, as I was going for a long period of time, I drove a truck, a Bush car, and a cup car on the same weekend. Kind of the Kyle Bush story, you know? Right. Just the more you can get in them seats, the better off you are. Right. But uh, there's some mental uh, thing uh, that some teams have that they think they need a young driver and in some of it, there's one or two that are really showing that their youth is okay and they're winning. Other ones, we do have to all be honest with ourselves. You know, a lot of things are financially driven in today's marketplace of racing. And there's some young guys that got sponsors and have family wealth that help open the door for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are materializing, meaning in a good racers, and other ones are you Probably know, not going to make it. Not yeah, going to make mean, it. Yeah. You know, not everybody does. That's no, right. and, and you know, there's a, there's a lot. Of, you got to you got to perform. You have to win races. There's people, you know, in the Cup Series today that people are, oh my God, I can't believe he doesn't have a ride for next year. Well, give me his win record. There is none. Well, he's a nice guy. Give me his win record. Well, let me ask you this: You said you had to be a, or you were told you needed to win a championship. Do these kids are they a track champion somewhere? I don't know. Yeah, I mean. You know, there's phenomenal success stories, and we'll use William Byron. I don't know William Byron. I know who he is. Yeah. And he won iRacing. Never been in a real race car. Right. That's a video game. It's a video (laughs) game. And he runs some legend cars. And then he, I believe he was in Dale Earnhardt's K&N cars. But he, then he started winning championships, and he won a championship in everything he got into, right. truck series, cup series. But he started from nothing. So there are a lot of guys. There's an example of a guy that put championships together has ended up in a good ride, yeah. won a few races. But there's many of those drivers that have no championships to their name and no major wins, but it's just changed. And those guys that you talk about all across America who are really good drivers and don't, don't sniff the cup series – those are the guys that, are, that they're pissed off at. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, the one big thing that, I mean, we just seen it this summer here, you know, with the 
Tony Stewart, Ray Abraham SFX series. The, the gentleman who won the very first race is the local hero that had been running there for X number of years and nobody ever gave him an opportunity to do anything else. He wins the race and, uh, then his celebrity crew chief that weekend, Mike Bean, calls him up and giving him an opportunity to come to Bristol. Right. You know, he had all these championships, I think six national modified championships to his credit and, uh, seven, you know, cha uh, modified championships and, uh, had never got an opportunity until he got on a visual big stage, showed how good he was, outrun all yeah, the right. past champions. So, all right, let's talk about winning races. You, uh, you have the dubious distinction of owning a title from the Daytona Speedway. Yeah, I am the. Uh, fortunately, I am the inaugural truck winner at Daytona International Speedway in 2000. Uh, there's been a lot of uh, drivers that have won those races since. But I am certainly the first inaugural winner. So first ever truck race at Daytona. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm so excited about that. That's a really big deal in my career, and it kind of got me going on some other opportunities. You know, I'd won Daytona, honestly, a few years before that with Kenny Schrader in an ARCA car, right. and that gave me some opportunities and went and did that. And my career, as I mentioned earlier, has been up and down. I was in a Cup car and. 94 to 97 then a bush car and then back and forth and i ended up i just wanted to win races i needed to be in something that i could win races and i uh, got hooked up with jimmy smith the number two truck team ase and uh we went to daytona with timmy kahooth crew chief in that thing and uh, we qualified second and i remember coming through th turns three and four coming to the green and uh, Jim Smith, who's the owner, he also owns a company called Ultra Wheels. I says, Smith, absorb it all. It's the desert to Daytona. <laughs> I says, I see you in victory lane. Exactly what I told him. And he's, I got her, buddy. Let's go. And uh, through that whole race, and we, we led 68 out of 100 laps. But here's the real kicker. With two laps to go, we lose the lead. Oh, and no. the draft is so intense. I mean, it's crazy. Like, and I got stuck to the bottom, and they all went around me on that side. When we took the green or took the white flag, I was running sixth. Gotcha. And uh, through understanding the draft, some drafting help from behind, took the lead and coming off a of turn four and won the race. You know, oh, it, 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 when you say you won, it's like, oh, I dominated that race. No, I, I did up until. When it was pay time. It's and then, so easy to happen, though, at those super speed Yeah, that yeah, that tells you how it all changed. But uh, then we got the got that victory, and uh, it sticks with me forever. And, and numerous people talk about that. I was Tri-City Friday night, and people brought up some die casts. That truck, no, no you kidding, know, yeah. it was really cool. Very nice. Um, I remember going to, I think it was Rockingham one year, back in the 90s. I want to say your sponsor was Heilig Myers. Is that correct? Could have been. Yeah. I mean, who, so who were we racing with back then? Yeah, well, let, let me go through a little progression. You know, we're kind of backing up, going forward, backing up. Yep. When I moved from the Midwest, from St. Louis, I came down and I drove, first race team I drove for was a gentleman by the name of Ted Condor, Highline Racing. And that was just a couple races. Then I ended up getting an opportunity to drive for Barry Owen. And Barry lives in Lexington, North Carolina. And that's where I had my most success in short, in, in, Bush Series racing. We won uh, Milwaukee, Indianapolis, Dover, 
you know. So from there, I drove for Junie Donlevy in the Highly Myers car. They <laughs> that was my first Cup ride, and that lasted from about ninety four to ninety six. Then ninety six. Did you see me in the grandstands? By the way, yeah, I was. I waved you <laughs> coming off of two. You were the guy up there with the four beers and going, "Yeah, hey, come it. on, Mike, yeah." Had one of those helmets where you put the yeah, beer yeah. in the helmet. Had a little hose coming down there. <laughs> Um, so, you know, drove that for Junie, jumped around a little bit when the, you know, the old story, we weren't winning races. It's easier to place, replace the driver than it is anything or any other position on the team. Um, drove a little bit here and there. Then I got that opportunity with, uh, I got an opportunity with Kenny Schrader to drive Schrader's truck for a couple years. That's a great story. You know, Schrader, we all grew up in St. Louis together, right? My dad raced against his dad, all that stuff. So I'm at St. Louis testing for a, a bush race just in the middle of the week, and all of a sudden Kenny Schrader walks in the door. In the door, I mean in the pit gate, you know, right. to the garage. Area. Schrader, what are you doing here? And I didn't know he was going to replace his driver in his truck. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me and goes, well, I'm in town to find me a race car driver to drive, <laughs> drive my truck. He says, and I got to thinking about who I know, and, you know, we won a race together back at Daytona. He says, so I thought about you, then I thought, what other feature does he have that another driver doesn't have? You own an airplane. And he <laughs> says, how much better could I get it? I could hire a driver that's got his own airplane. They could He could help fly the crew to and from the racetrack. <laughs> I says, well, I'm your man. <laughs> And so we, we ran well in that truck, almost won. You know, we've run second a bunch of times. Almost, the almost won. We didn't. But uh, then uh, Schrader, Schrader wanted to make a change. Thank God he wanted to make a change because as soon as he got rid of myself and Timmy Cahoot, the crew chief, we went and won a Homestead, Daytona, all the major So races. you've been hired and fired by Ken Schrader. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't care what business you're in. It's going to happen to you at some point. Yeah. You know, well, I mean? you know we, we all go through, if you talk to numerous people, every business is basically the same. And uh, I don't like it, but it's one of the two. They hire you for talent. You produce. You do really well. They got some type of internal change. They want to change you, so they fire you or some reason. But the one thing that kills me about that, and everybody knows been through this, right? They fire you. And you've been their buddy for 20 years or 10 years or whatever it is. Every morning you talk, and they walk in and go, what's well, just business? Don't let it bother. It's, it's, it's just personal, business. is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's, I tell you what, you talk to long, old race car drivers, and uh, they've all been through it, and they—if it's number one on the first page of what I don't like about racing book, right? F- being fired and telling you it's just business—it <laughs> <laughs> happens to all of us. Trust oh, okay, me. yeah, I've been there. All right, when we uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about getting into the racing business. We've heard your story, um, and perhaps you have some advice. Maybe there's somebody listening right now. Who's thinking about becoming, hey, I want to be a race car driver. If you had some advice for them, we'll talk about that when we come back. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. All right, welcome back. This is Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. My name is Jeff Kent. We are on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. We're talking racing, everything from short tracks to super speedways and everything in between. When last we spoke to you, we were talking about Getting some advice from Mike Wallace, and we'll we'll go there in a second. 
But I remember one time you told me, I don't know who it was that wrecked. Might have been you. Might have been somebody else. And you told me that they ran out of the three T's all at once. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and and we were talking about Schrader earlier. He's the one taught me this. So the three T's are you run out of track, mm-hmm. then you run out of traction, then you run out of talent. All at the same time. All at the same time. <laughs> it's all within a microsecond. Track, traction, talent. Right. And, I uh, remembered that. I thought it was funny. Yeah, so it is funny because there's sometimes you got to make humor about bad things, you know, and, and uh, everybody has a wreck and Schrader. <laughs> I remember Schrader years ago, man, when we lived back in St. Louis, he walked in the shop and he he was the Copper Classic star out of Phoenix. They used to run this series in the winter and Schrader wanted a bunch, but he come back this time and his eyes were blood red, literally blood in his eyes. <laughs> and he says, man, I busted my butt out there. I says, oh, traction, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so That's funny. All right, so we've heard your story. Um, your dad was a racer, so you kids grew up going on the racetrack and watching dad race, and then you you got your 57 Chevy, and you're, you're turning wrenches, and you're going to the racetrack on Saturday night. And then you figured, well, is this something I want to pursue? So you moved to Charlotte. You know, is that is that the path that I should take? Say I want to be a race car driver. It's too late for me, but it's just a hypothetical. Yeah, well... I think there is no written path, first of all. If I can say there is no written path in motorsports. But I can tell you, I believe I know some of what is still considered a key ingredient. Number one, you must have passion for racing. I mean, you got to love it because it's what you want to do. doesn't have nothing to do with, oh, I can make this crazy amount of money or this little bit of money. You want to do it regardless if you're getting paid for it or not. It really helps if you understand your race car just a little bit. I mean, get your hands a little dirty, get in there. Some guys have never worked on their race cars. You know, they just drive them. I think it helps to do that. And I think the simple thing, once you realize that you got to have finances to make all this stuff work, especially at the short track level, I mean, you still got to have a fair amount of money just to go racing every week or every weekend or whatever, is that you need sponsorship support. Sponsorship is a weird name because you don't know if it's supposed to be marketing partners today, a partner. Everybody seems like the the word sponsorship isn't the word to use anymore. But you got to do things for people. It can't be all about you. It's not just, hey, give me some money and I'll put your name on my car. Right. You know, you got to be creative. You got to go out and obtain some help if you don't know how to be creative and start with your local level. Pitching a sponsorship deal, a marketing partnership with a local partner. I mean, my my guys were Dan Altoff Trucking in St. Louis, big dump truck operator now, and a Bob Quinn's Auto Bargain Center, used little old used car dealership down in St. Louis. But I would do things for them. I'd make appearances at the car lot or go with Dan on some client calls, you know. And that was before it was really anybody. And um, I'm still very adamant. Also, I think you got to look the part to be the part. Meaning you got to dress well, look good when you walk in. Sure, you're representing your marketing partner's business, right? Yeah, but I mean, you, you know, in today's world, though, there's something in the ethical dress code has fallen apart. You know, guys don't dress the part. They they don't dress the part all the time when they're in public. And 
when you're going to be a race car driver and you're going to represent major corporations, you know, multi-million, billion-dollar corporations, you got to look good. I mean, you put nice pants on, nice shirt, tucked in, hair looks good, and uh, you'll go a long way with that. If you show up and no disrespect, but if you've got earrings hanging out, if you're a guy with <laughs> earrings hanging out of your ear and hats on sideways, that's good for some sports. It's not our sport. Right. You know, the NASCAR world is kind of a more of a clean, wholesome look. And you got to be able, I mean, you got to be able to go to the boardroom, to Wall Street, ring the closing bell at the New York Stock Exchange, to Victory Lane. And you got to look the part to do all that. Talk good if you can't talk good go you know go to some some classes right they got classes all day long Absolutely. i hear about how you know how to have the talent you have i mean it, it awes me you can just rattle out those commercials and intros and all that stuff and it sounds like oh my god you think it's easy then you get behind a microphone and it's like uh, I, I, I can't say it but uh, and, i'm a seasoned pro yeah but you know <laughs> so we were talking about young people earlier so toyota through their driver development program and I, I think Ford does it now, too, from what I hear. I mean, they send their people. They hire people to come in to take care of the drivers, tell them how to talk, what to say, just even as simple as pronouncing a word, the word Toyota. How do you pronounce it? Right. And it's uh, there's a lot of that in there. you so. got to say it right. Let me ask you this, too. When, <clears throat> when you, uh, as a race fan, go get an autograph from a race car driver, it's usually, man, really well done. Do they, do they, is there an autograph school? No, but I tell you, <laughs> my autograph is really good, very legible. And I remember this many years ago. The great, one of the greatest race car drivers ever, still around, is Mario Andretti. Yeah. And Mario Andretti, and this, heck, this is back in the 70s, right? I read an article, and he says, if you're ever going to sign an autograph, sign it that people know who it is 20 years from now. Right. That they can make it out. You know, there's a lot of guys that they put something out there. They can't even read it themselves. They don't know what it is. Exactly. And mine is the exact same, perfect. You can make Mike Wallace out so clearly, except I add a little tail at the end of it. And, but you have good penmanship. Yeah. What you're saying. Yeah, but I, I didn't. Uh, there's no. I guess there's schools for that. I've never heard of one. Uh, I just figured there was because when you do, you know, so many drivers have these, you know, really nice looking autographs, you yeah. know. Some do, some don't. I well, think, yeah. Some of them do, but uh, you got to just you got to have good sharpies. Don't use dull sharpies. That's right. a that's a bad deal. I always said sharpie needs to make a sharpie sharpener, <laughs> you know, to get the point back on them, but they don't. But uh, lastly, you want to become a race car driver? Do you need to move to Charlotte, North Carolina, because Charlotte is, you know, a racing hub? I think the the story behind coming to Charlotte and is this is where all the race teams are based. On the national touring basis, this is where they're all based. And people go, why? And I says, well, let's compare it. If you want to be a country music star, you move to Nashville. Mm -hmm. If you want to be a movie star, you go to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. That's as simple as I can say it. This is where now a lot of the, all the teams are based. A lot of the media is based here. And just everything's happening in this area. Now, now there's some star drivers that they wouldn't have to live here. They could you know, fly their jet wherever and come back and forth. But mm -hmm. if you want to be in the action, and and there's a lot of networking that goes on here in Charlotte. You know, if you're gonna, if you're the guy wanting to be the young up and coming driver, the biggest thing you got to do is get your name out there. And it isn't, it doesn't just happen at the racetrack. It happens at charity events, the MDA event. My wife and I are actively involved in for years. 
a Hall of Fame event. You know, you would know this more than I would with the radio world. There's charity events every day, everywhere. Absolutely. You know, or every weekend, however you want to say it. And you got to get your name out in front of them and right. uh, just walk out there and take I mean, business you know, cards. It's still old business cards are still a good way to, right? to meet people. I mean, you're a brand. I'm a brand. You're out there hopefully raising money for charity, doing a good thing. But at the end of the day, a lot of those appearances are about, you know, improving your brand. Sure. And mm-hmm. anybody tells you any different is not telling you the truth. Right. <laughs> All right. So team owner comes to you right now. It's August 2nd. 2021. Mike, I need you to drive my race car. You doing it? If it's a good car. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I don't want to use the word, I think we talked about it one time, if I retired. No, I'm not really retired, but I'm really not actively searching out a job. Right. Uh, my day doesn't start till 10 o'clock every day, so I can't get real active. But I would give anything, honestly, to get in a, uh, right now today, I'd love to get in a good truck. No kidding. A truck capable of winning yeah. and go win some races. I, I you know, I, uh, I think I can be good enough shape by the time it, you know, if it happens in a week or two from now, you know, I could get in and, and do it. But, uh, yeah. We'll work on that for you. All right. But don't, I wouldn't turn down a good Xfinity <laughs> ride or a cup ride either. I, it right. would be kind of cool to drive one of those new cup cars next year just to say you've kind of experienced all of them. That would be. Maybe yeah. you just go out there and get a get a gig test driving them. You know what I mean? You could be the next gen well test know, driver. You know what is weird? You said that I was reading last night where David Reagan's doing that. Is that right? Yeah, he's kind of like the Ford guy. You know, you don't see him on the racetrack anymore, but he's testing them cars every weekend and are, every time they test them. I should rephrase that. Sure. Yeah. There you go. All right, Mike. It's been an enjoyable conversation. First of all, let me just say that this is going to be a weekly series. So it's Fast Car to NASCAR with Mike Wallace. I'm Jeff Kent. We're going to be back with more uh, coming to a, um, a digital unit near you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm excited about it. Uh, it's going to be a pleasure doing this with you along with it. From my racing career, I'm going to bring us some other people in now and then, whether calling in or sitting next to us or whatever, some star race car drivers to set, share their story, mm-hmm. you know, because – we just want to tell a great story to and to not a story we want to tell factual guidelines of how, how you got from again who you were to who you are 10-4 this is fast car to nascar with mike wallace on the speed sport podcast network and nascar digital media we'll see you next week <laughs>